Hey, thank you so much for watching. We've got a great service for you today. My name's Jake, I'm one of the pastors here. Before we get into that, a couple things that you need to know about. Number one is this coming Saturday, so February 18th, there's a men's breakfast. So guys or ladies, husbands, boyfriends, brothers, get them to church for men's breakfast on Saturday. It's a great time where we eat great food and we hear from a great speaker who helps equip us to be the men that God made us to be. So don't miss that. The second thing is a, an event uh, called Slow Serve. That's for our youth students, our middle school and high school. Basically what they do is a whole collection of service projects around the county. And we want you to know about that right now to be thinking about ways that we can serve. The trip is coming up in the spring break time for Atascadero Unified. That's the week after Easter. They'll do a couple days of serving. So you've got a little bit of time to be thinking. Maybe if you're someone who has a large property that, that's really hard to upkeep, or maybe someone in your community, you know that it could be a real blessing to have a gaggle of students over there trimming weeds or painting things or just hanging out, whatever it is. Think through some service projects, and if you have any ideas, please let us know. You can talk to Josh or Matt or Kelsey on our youth staff. The last thing, we just want you guys to know that this past Wednesday night, we had a county-wide youth worship night, and it was incredible. We had hundreds of students from all across the county, from a bunch of different churches represented, coming together on our campus just to worship Jesus, and it was amazing. I just want you to know if, if you're connected to a student and they were there, we hope that your family has been blessed by that. And if you're connected to a student, middle school to high school range, who's not yet connected to our high school or ministry uh, or our middle school ministry programs, we would love to help you get them plugged in. You can find out more about that on our website or by talking to Josh, Matt, Kelsey, or myself. Now, I'm so excited about the next three weeks in our sermon series. We're talking about marriage, singleness, and how to live with intention no matter what season you're in. Pastor Jeff is gonna kick us off with that service right now. Enjoy. Wow, welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, we've got a special few weeks here coming up at ABC. We are doing a series in marriage, and so we're taking a quick break from our um, book study in the Gospel of Matthew. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage and singleness. Um, we're talking about brokenness in marriage when things kind of go wrong. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context for events happening on campus at ABC, next Sunday, which would be a week from today, um, we're going to have a, a night where parents can drop their kids off um, at church in the evening time. And uh, you can have a date night. So it kind of accompanies our marriage series, gives you a, t a chance to reconnect and kind of chat about the content a little bit. And then the following week, um, which would be the last Sunday in February, we're going to have um, a marriage seminar in the evening time following our Sunday morning services. So check the website for more information on that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of events happening this month that we're really excited about. So um, today, as we jump in, I want you to consider, if you're married, I want you to consider, why did you get married? And maybe don't answer out loud if you're sitting in the room with your spouse. Um, some of you are thinking, yeah, why did I get married? No, but there's all kinds of reasons, right? We would say, well, we were in love, or 
um, we wanted to start a family or, you know, it's, it was the dream ever since I was a, a little child to get married and have a family and have a house and have a career. Or maybe you're just thinking like, I just wanted some help with the chores or I just needed someone to take care of me for whatever reason uh, you got married. It's a, an interesting question I ask um, our premarital young married, young uh, couples um, in our premarital counseling is what's the purpose of your marriage? Kind of taking it a step further. And it's surprising how few people can answer that question. I don't know what the purpose, what, what the reason I'm getting married is because I love them, uh, but I don't, I don't know if it's the purpose or the, the mission of marriage. That's a harder question to answer. So what I wanna do today, the goal of our time together is that you understand, according to scripture, what the purpose of marriage, because it's far different than it is for the world, right? You, you would answer that question in a far different context if you're outside the church. The purpose of marriage could be um, financial. The purpose of marriage could be just um, because of the statistics about having less anxiety and depression and, um, you know, the higher median income, you know, if you're married, better, better tax benefits, you know, go on down the list in the world's eyes. But what's the purpose of marriage according to God and according to scripture? And as we walk through this, we're going to see that the intention of biblical marriage is to become more like Jesus. And I want to tease that out a little bit. I want you to kind of absorb that throughout the morning that we understand the intention of a biblical marriage is to become more like Jesus. If God has gifted you with marriage, he intends to use it to sanctify you, to make you more like him, to make you more holy. God is preparing you for eternity. That's his goal. That's his purpose for all of us. Every single child of God is being prepared for eternity with him. And many of you, you would even say, you know, that are divorced, looking back on a difficult marriage, um, you might still say God's purpose in that was to refine me. He used a hard, difficult, painful situation to make me more like him. And that is in fact, the purpose of marriage. I wanna be really clear up front though, God's intention, God's purpose for marriage is not an environment of control, fear, violence, manipulation. If you're in that kind of scenario, um, please reach out for help. The church has resources. Um, we would love to walk you through that kind of difficult situation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Christ-centered um, approach to viewing how we interact with um, each other in marriage. If the purpose of marriage is to make us more like Jesus, it means our eyes have to be focused on Jesus. And this is probably the greatest mistake that we make, even in a Christian marriage, that our eyes tend to drift toward each other or towards ourselves. And so if we're going to step back this morning and just ask, what's the purpose? What's the intention of a biblical marriage? And the intention is to become more like Jesus. It means that our eyes need to be focused on Jesus. There's a book that uh, Francis and Lisa Chan wrote. Many of you have uh, probably seen it or heard of it. It's called You and Me Forever, a book on marriage. A really great read if you are looking for a resource. Um, but the whole context of the book is to view your life and your marriage in light of eternity. What's this time on earth? doing to prepare me for eternity. Here's what Francis says. He says, a mistake a lot of couples make is they spend a lot of time looking at themselves and each other, but very little time staring at God. When this is the focus, they naturally begin to structure every aspect of their lives around the few years they have with each other on earth 
rather than the millions of years they will spend in his presence. Such a helpful perspective. I invite you this morning to look to the face of Jesus. Regardless of how good your marriage is, how bad your marriage is, how bad you want out of your marriage, or how bad you want to be married, look to the face of Jesus and allow for him to prepare you for an eternity with him that's a far greater goal, that has far more uh, longevity and, and greater return on our investment. The intention of marriage is to become more like Jesus. It's exactly where Paul points us in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, look to Jesus. We're going to look at one of the most um, maybe prominent passages in the New Testament regarding marriage, Ephesians chapter 5. But before we get to that section, I want to give you a little bit of context. I want you to see the vein in which Paul brings up the marriage topic by looking at a few verses before. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and meet me in verse 15. I want to read to give you a little bit of a lens um, to see this passage through before we jump in. Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pay attention to the wrapping of the context here. Paul is wrapping this conversation in a lifestyle that's lived with gratitude, a lifestyle that's lived with a mutual submission, self-discipline, wisdom, using psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to encourage one another. There's, there's this rhythm of grace that he's describing that we would have a lifestyle in gratitude as we look at some of these conversations related to how we relate to each other. And then he says the most important line in verse 21, he says, listen, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another, there's mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. Christ at the center of the conversation. Christ at the head of the marriage union. Put your eyes on Jesus as we look at the conversation surrounding marriage. The intention of marriage is to become more like Jesus. The focus is not you. It's not even your spouse. The focus needs to be Jesus. Now, we're going to make a big full circle kind of trip journey um, through the Bible this morning. We're going to um, come back to here in a, in a minute into Ephesians 5. But what I want to do is take you all the way back to Genesis and we're going to start with the origin of marriage and work our way through God's plan for marriage in the Old Testament and then arrive back here in Ephesians in just a few minutes. So hang with me. And uh, if you've got your Bibles with you again, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And I want to give you a foundational understanding of what God defines to be marriage as we begin here. So Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read a couple of verses here. A lot of you are familiar with this passage. It's the creation order. Um, this is how God uh, began everything. And man, of course, was the final um, 
piece of creation as he walked through the six days of creation and rested on the seventh day. And we arrive here in verse 18 after God had already created man. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it was not good or it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And skip down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then if I jump down to verse 24, therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the first marriage. This is marriage designed by God. God created marriage. He created man and then he created a woman and then he unified them and he said, you will be married. It's the first marriage. And God, in, in, in some sense, you know, was also defining how the, the order and the, rule, the roles would play out. But before you jump too quickly into roles, let me just paraphrase what I see God doing here. I, I see God creating and then seeing things interact in creation as Adam's taking care of the animals. And this is what he says. It's a little commentary on his own creation. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. So I imagine God saying to Adam, dude, it looks like you need some help. Why don't you take a nap? I got this. I'm going to take care of it. When you wake up, we're going to have it all sorted out. So Adam wakes up and he goes, meet Eve. She can help and you need her help. That's exactly how I see this God looking at Adam, walking through this uh, new role, this new responsibility of kind of caring for the animals and working the land and all this thing. God going, dude, this guy needs some help. Let's help him out. And he brings Eve and ultimately Eve becomes the perfect helpmate for him. God designed men to need women and women to need men. You don't have women unless you have men. You don't have men unless you have women. Do, do you know how that works? Do I need to explain that? Okay, so it's like a little bee and it lands on the, I'm just, just kidding. You can deal with that later. And it says in verse 24 that the two shall become one flesh. So before you jump into this definition of roles, remember that the two are one. The man is now part of the woman. The woman is now part of the man. The two are in partnership with each other. Woman part of man, man part of woman in partnership. They're unified. They are now one. And by the way, in God's design, this partnership is perfect. There's no shame or identity issue or insecurity in this partnership. They're knit, united, and equipped to serve alongside of one another. And then in verse 25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Perfection in their partnership. Until Genesis 3. And you're familiar what happens next as we get into the way that we dramatically disrupted the design for marriage. Marriage disrupted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I want to just summarize real quickly verses 1 through 5 um, for sake of time. But if you remember the story, there's a tree that God said, don't eat from this tree, just one tree that was forbidden. Um, it was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And, this, and Satan, the snake, the serpent, tempted Eve and really called into question the goodness of God or the sovereignty of God. Did God really say, does God really want to keep this from you? And so Eve takes of the fruit, Adam's with her. The story plays out there, but here's what it says in verse 
5. Or excuse me, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then we go on and we see Adam interrupt or disrupt this perfect union by in verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. This perfect partnership, this perfect union disrupted by the lie, the the lie that Eve believed that I know better. I know better than God. God's not going to take care of me or God's going to withhold good from me. And so I need to look out for myself. And she takes things into her own hands. Lie number one. And Eve ultimately gives into the lie that she needs to take things into her own hands. And then Adam gives into the lie that he doesn't have anything to do with it. Passes the blame. We're going to talk more about the fall specifically in a couple weeks. Gerald's going to walk us through chapter three at more length. But what I simply want you to see is this amazing, um, profound disruption of the unity and design of what God had for marriage. Adam hides. He says he was naked and afraid, so he hid. And ever since this first marriage, we've all been spinning in these same cycles of hiding, have we not? Believing that we know better believing that no one's going to look out for number one, so I need to look out for myself, believing that I'm not to blame, we shift the blame, self-protection, defending ourselves, and then hiding, ashamed, insecure, and lonely again and again on repeat. I don't need to tell you that we're still living in these cycles of shame and insecurity and selfishness and the sin behavior that continues to haunt our marriages, continues to divide our relationships, to separate us from others. The self-protective mentality that we were born with and brought into this world is the thing that disrupts our relational unity most. And the worst thing you could do, the worst thing any of us could do is to begin to read a passage of scripture like Ephesians 5, where we start talking about a model, a biblical model for marriage, and try to apply that model over the top of two broken people who haven't been redeemed by the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we come to the table to discuss marriage as broken people stuck in the cycle of sin without being redeemed and restored and healed by the love of Christ, then we'll continue to operate out of that brokenness irrespective of what the instructions give us in the New Testament. We need to pause and ask, how can God, how might God redeem me so that I can step into what he's calling me to for a marriage. A biblical model for marriage only works if God redeems our brokenness. The purpose of marriage is to make us more like Christ, to redeem us back to what we were created to be. He'll use your marriage for it, but he'll use you. He'll do it with you prior to that. So we need to be redeemed. We have a design for marriage. We have a disruption for marriage. And now we have redemption. I want to show you a beautiful picture of that redemption in the book of Hosea. If you haven't read Hosea in a while, I'm guessing you probably haven't. Such a cool story. Hosea was a prophet. 
God gave him a command in Hosea chapter one. He says, I want you to go marry an unfaithful woman and he takes a prostitute for his wife and then they have children and God gives him instruction on what to name the kids. And there's a whole story there we don't have time to dive into. But then what happens is his wife, Gomer, is again unfaithful. And God instructs him again, go take back your wife, redeem her unfaithfulness, bring her back. And what God is doing is using the husband and wife relationship between Hosea and Gomer to define and to describe his relationship with Israel. So just as your wife has been unfaithful, so has Israel been unfaithful to me is what God is saying. And just as you are gonna redeem back your wife, Gomer, I'm gonna redeem back Israel. And so he uses this analogy. She's a beautiful picture of the love of God. But here's what happens at the end of the book of Hosea in chapter 13. God is tired of his wandering people being misled and lied to. And so he says it this way in chapter 13. He says, he will come at sin like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion, jealous for his people. God comes fierce against sin, like a leopard, a lion, a bear, jealous for his people. And then in verse 14 or uh, chapter 14, verse four, he says this, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. Right at the very end of the book of Hosea, after this analogy, this word picture of Hosea and Gomer, Hosea redeeming back Gomer, God redeeming Israel. He says, I will run against your sin. I will chase it out and then I will redeem your apostasy. I will heal you. I will love you. My anger will turn away from you. And God's intention for marriage or otherwise, really irrespective of marriage, God's intention for you is to redeem you, to heal your unfaithfulness and to love you freely. That's what God is doing in his church. That's why Paul talks in Romans chapter five about him while we were still sinners, buying us back, redeeming us. Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8, while we were were still sinners, to put things back in order, to restore our appropriate identity and remove that shame, to break that sin cycle, to call us out of hiding, and to replace the lie with the truth that we need him and that we will be most satisfied in him. And when that has been set right, and only then, can we lean into the true intention of marriage to become more like Jesus? So we come full circle back to Ephesians chapter five as we start with God's design. We see the disruption, God's redemption for mankind, for his church in Hosea. And now we find ourselves back in Ephesians chapter five after having been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go to five chapter, 20, or chapter five, verse 22, where it says, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And Paul finishes with the quote from Genesis chapter two, the two shall be one flesh. But remember he started back in verse 21 with mutual submission, with Christ, reverent Christ at the head. He started with this language of thanksgiving and, and wisdom and kindness, all wrapping this conversation saying, mutually submit to one another before he gets to this point where he says, now wives, submit to husbands. And I want to point out a couple things here that submission happens in marriage as the church submits to Christ, which means husbands don't get a pass in submission. It's mutual submission. I submit to Christ. We all submit to Christ. The church submits to Christ. Wives submit to your husbands as they're submitting to Christ. And I think one of the greatest tragedies of this passage right here, it's been weaponized in the church. You see people in their brokenness, in their own depravity, in their own sin cycle of shame and insecurity saying, you need to submit to me. Look at what it says. You have men saying to their wives, submit to me, and yet they're not submitting to Christ. It's the, the worst misuse of a passage on marriage I could think of. It's not an unconditional submission. It's mutual submission. It's going, I'm going to submit to Christ. I want to see Christ exalted. I want to put him at the front. I want to see you lifted up in Christ. I'm going to submit as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so wives, you should be able to joyfully say, I'll submit to you as you submit to Christ and I'll submit to Christ too. Second submission here comes with a command. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Pay close attention to this. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. How did Christ love the church? Think about it for just a minute. Christ loved the church by being ridiculed, beaten, and ultimately hung to die on a cross, crucified for the church. So men, if you want to know how to love your wives, if you want a biblical model for marriage, it's not just verse 22 where it says, well, wives submit to husbands. No, no, it's verse 25 where it says, die for your wife. That's the extent that you have to go to again and again and again. It's self-sacrificing. There's a whole lot of talk in the church of male headship and authority in homes and authority in the church. And the way I read this, men, is headship means you die first. You lead the way. You go first in sacrifice. You crucify yourself, your wants, your needs first. You say, no, not me. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to point others to Christ. I'm going to point you to Christ. It's not me who lives, but Christ in me. And so you die first. It means that you are the first one to pick up the towel and the basin and begin washing the feet of your family to serve them. That's what male leadership means in the home. That's what male leadership in the church should mean. You give up yourself again and again and again, regardless of the reciprocation. And you might say, well, that's not fair. It's not. 
not fair. Nobody ever said it was fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus, but it's how God designed it. And there are other perks, men. You don't have to bear children. <laughs> That's a painful reality. And wives, when you see this Christ-like attitude, when you see this self-sacrifice, submit yourselves out of reverence to Christ. Yeah. Can't imagine a woman that wouldn't want to joyfully and respectfully walk with her husband to the feet of Jesus in submission when they see their husband leading like that. Finally, we see the purpose for this submission and sacrifice is to become more like Christ. And we finish where we started, the intention of biblical marriage. The purpose of marriage is to become more like Christ. Verse 26, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Backing up just a minute, it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be made holy that the reason Jesus died for the church, the reason he sacrificed himself for the church was to make her more holy. The reason that husbands should love their wives, should sacrifice for the good of their wives, the reason wives should respect and submit as their husbands submit to Christ is so that we could become more like Jesus. So that the washing of the water of word, when we read the word that it washes, it cleanses, that when we come to the face of Jesus, when we start looking at him instead of each other or ourselves in the mirror, we start to be transformed into his image. We become more like Jesus. It starts with sacrifice. It's continued with mutual submission. And it lives out the fullness of what God designed in Genesis 2. The two shall become one flesh part of one another, partnered in pursuing Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we're grateful for this model that is really, um, in some sense, very hard to wrap our minds around. In other sense, it's very simple that the idea, the, the design and intention of marriage was simply to model the way that Christ loved the church. And so I ask God that you would help us to step into the fullness of that metaphor, that for those of us who are married, God, we would begin to make decisions, make sacrifices, choose words that model the way that you love the church that our marriages would be defined by the way you love the church and that it would demonstrate the way you love the church to the world, that people could look at our sacrificial relationships and begin to see an example of the love of Christ towards his church. God, we know the purpose of our marriage is to make us more like you. So do so. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So next week, uh, we're going to jump into a discussion on singleness, and I think it'll be really helpful um, for those that uh, either have, haven't been married yet, um, have been married and are not no longer any married, whether no longer married, whether it be a, a divorce or um, the loss of a spouse, 
um, or for those who um, who may have a, a long season, a long period of, of singleness, um, we want to see how God is working intentionally through those um, moments and seasons of singleness and really the, the blessing that it can be as we become more like Jesus. And then uh, again, next Sunday night, um, we've got a little date night planned for you. So you can drop your kids off in the evening time. And then the following Sunday, we'll have some seminars um, as we conclude our series at the end of the month. And in March, we'll be right back into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so we'll carry on for the rest of the spring that way. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.